morning. Oh, we love coming to be with you guys and uh, being with our dear friends, Pastor Glenn and Vicki. And uh, well, we've known you guys, I've lost track from before we started our church 25 years ago and um, have, have kept up with them. They've helped us, if you don't know, they helped us in a critical juncture in, our, in the life of our church and uh, helped, they came and did some consulting for us and enabled us to make some structural changes that helped us to grow from that point. So we love coming here and being with you guys. I, this was a weekend of firsts for me. I uh, went to Schuster's Farm for the first time. Anybody ever heard of this place? It's really awesome. The donuts, I highly recommend. My other first is I went into this thing they call a corn maze. I, I can tell. I can't see you, but I can hear that you relate. Yeah. So we did the corn maze yesterday. Uh, we got lost a number of times. But they had this sheet of clues from the superhero clues, you know. Really hard questions like... Um, which superhero has bracelets that repel bullets and has a lasso that, that helps people tell the truth? Somebody said Wonder Woman. I thought it was Miss Piggy, but I was wrong. It's not her. <laughs> you are all aware of the whole superhero film industry that's out there. I, I don't, they keep coming up with new ones. I didn't know there was an Ant-Man. Yeah. You know, I knew about Batman, Superman, the Hulk, you know, Iron Man. But when they came with Ant-Man and the Wasp Lady and... Wow, it just, it just goes on and on. I want to I use this morning a superhero idea to, uh, to highlight areas of character and action that God wants us to demonstrate in our lives. And so I'm going to take as a superhero, we'll look at The Black Panther. That was a film. Anybody here see The Black Panther? I'll assume you're raising your hand. Um, there's a reason why I'm doing this, so hang in there. If you're upset about me bringing this up, uh, direct your emails to Pastor Glenn. <laughs> Metro Believers Church, yeah. If you saw the film, you know that, the, that it, has, it has several themes running through it, but there's, but there's one particular theme I want to use as an illustration today. This, the story portrays the moral tension within the lead figure, the Black Panther, King T'Challa. Uh, he leads this African nation called Wakanda, and, uh, and it's made great progress with, its, with their resources. They're wealthy, they're safe. Uh, and they carefully guard that. They don't want to risk anyone else knowing about what they've got. In fact, they live inside a force field bubble, safe from the sadness and hurt that happens around them, but never really touches their comfortable lives. And that's, that's one of the moral dilemmas of this story, because uh, so many people of African descent throughout the world live in poverty and oppression. And the question that King T'Challa wrestles with is, how can the people of Wakanda sit comfortably in their wealth and safety and ignore the needs outside their own carefully guarded world? And it's a question I think that we could all ask of ourselves, no matter what our color or ethnicity. And what makes, what, to me, what makes the Black Panther a real superhero is not his amazing powers, but it's the decision he makes at the end of the story arc to come out of his bubble of comfort and safety and start to share with others the blessings that, that he and his people enjoy. And by now, some of you are thinking, are we going to hear the Bible today? I mean, what is this? Open your comic books to page three? You think you're Pastor Stan Lee? I mean, come on. Well, all right. So to help you guys with that, let's look at the Bible, because I am going to tell you about what the Scripture says. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. 
Uh, I'm reading out of the Message Bible, so you can try to read along in your other translation, but I don't think it's going to help. <laughs> Just then a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. <clears throat> Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? He answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you will live. Looking for a loophole, it says in the King James, this was a lawyer who said this, so that fits. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Judea, and on the way he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angled across the street to the other side. Then a, a, a Levite religious man showed up, <clears throat> and he also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him, and when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds, and then he lifted him, lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. Now, Jesus is speaking to the, to the teacher. What do you think? Which of these three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded. And Jesus said, go and do the same. Title of my message today is Out of the Bubble. The scholar's question was this, what are the limits about caring for other people? What are the limits? Who is my neighbor? How do you define that? Where does that start? Where does that finish? You may remember it uh, it's similar to me to a kind of question that Peter asked of the Lord one day. He said, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother and sister when they sin against me? And then he volunteered what, what he thought, no doubt, was Congressional Medal of Honor material. He said, up to seven times? And then he started high-fiving the other apostles. Whoo, you the man. Yeah, look at me and my bad self. Seven times? And Jesus said, no, Peter, not seven times, 70 times seven. I hope you realize he did not mean 490. 489, 490, you're mine. This is not a math statement. This is a metaphorical statement. It's perfection times perfection times 10. What are the limits? How far do I have to go? You know, there's something in our flesh that wants to limit love and care. Something in us says, love your own kind, the others are too risky. And to address this tendency in all of us, Jesus told this now well-known story, we call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's a story about reaching out beyond normal or expected limits it's, it's, it's a story about reaching out beyond our bubble of safety and comfort. Because I believe God wants each and every one of us to venture outside of our bubble. By bubble, I mean our own people, 
our own familiar setting, people of our own background or upbringing or socioeconomic status, you know, what's familiar, what's comfortable. And I'm not saying that those things in themselves are evil or that we should permanently abandon them, but I am advocating, and I think this story is teaching us, that we have the courage to venture out from that bubble to reach and help hurting people. See, the problem comes when we, when we limit our love just to our bubble. That's what the religion, that's what the religion uh, a scholar was driving at. How small can I make this thing? Jesus, understand, Jesus created this story. I don't want to say he made it up because it sounds like it's, you know, like he's being disingenuous, but he created the story. He's not telling something that actually happened, in my view. And, and, he, and the reason why that's important to me is because he structured this story with, some, with a very specific purpose in mind, and you can see it in the way he does the casting in this story. I think we can assume safely that the victim of the robbers was a Jewish person. Clearly, we know that the, the priest and the Levite were Jewish people, because uh, that's priests and Levites were Jewish people. And then he makes the hero of the story a Samaritan. Now, his, this would be completely counterintuitive to his Jewish audience. They, they would not expect him to make a Samaritan any kind of positive character in the story. If they were writing the story, they would have cast the Samaritan as one of the robbers, I have no doubt. Because Samaritans despised, I'm sorry, Jewish people despised Samaritans in that day. So I, I thought I'd kind of restructure this story to tell it in a way that would help us sort of catch the counterintuitiveness of this story. And so let me retell it. Uh, there, there, there was a, a member of the Ku, Ku Klux Klan that was going to town one day, and, and he got beaten up and left for dead. A grand wizard was, uh, uh, saw his fellow Klansmen, and he walked on by. And then an exalted cyclops came along. I'm not making these names up. These are genuine names. It's like these people never left the third grade. But anyway. And, and, and the exalted cyclops just walked on by. But then the black panther came along. And when he saw the wounded clansman, he went to him and he helped him. He bandaged his wounds and he took him to a hospital and paid for his care. Now, look, I'm not making a moral equivalence between being Jewish and being a Klansman here. I'm just trying to let this story strike us in a way it would have struck Jesus' hearers. Jesus structured this story to teach us that the word neighbor includes those outside of our bubble, people who live outside of our own ethnic or cultural or socioeconomic background or setting. God wants us to venture outside of our bubble. So what is it that keeps us in the bubble? You know, why, don't we, why don't we venture outside that force field, so to speak? And I'm going to give three things I think that can trap us in our bubble. The first one is this, it's probably one you've already thought of, and that's fear. Fear can trap us in our bubble. You think about it, uh, think about this story in its context. These guys come along the road. And, uh, and they see a man who's being beaten up. Clearly, there are robbers involved. And so, maybe the robbers are still around, you know? So, they have what I call a Dion Warwick moment. They're going to walk on by. 
those of you over 50 can remember that song. There's risk involved in reaching outside our bubble. You know, our loving overtures could be rejected, and that hurts. But you know, I think about Jesus. Jesus took this risk and faces this response from many people. He died for people who are right now rejecting His help. Our attempts at helping may come to nothing. People may just take advantage of it and move on. But God took this risk with Jesus and takes it every day. Every day, God answers people's prayers who are going to, as soon as the prayer is answered, just walk away from God. But He keeps answering prayers. You know, think about it. How would any of us be saved or helped or healed if somebody in our lives hadn't taken some kind of risk? We need to ask God for courage. My wife Margie is one of the most courageous people I know. Every week she goes into the local strip clubs uh, in the inner city of our, of our community and uh, takes a gift every week, a gift to the girls there and, and prays with them. They want to pray with her. They love them. They call them the church ladies. The church ladies are here. And uh, that's, look, that's a rough place. Um, you know, it, there's risk involved in that. Sometimes she's being cussed. Sometimes she's being rejected. You know, uh, what amazes me about Margie and her team, they're like that, that blow-up clown with the sand in the bottom. You remember those clowns? And when you knock it, it goes over. It just comes back. I mean, we have, we have come, uh, she has come back and been wounded and hurt and, you know, just there are seasons where they're really receptive and other seasons where they're just really rejecting. And that's painful. But I tell you what, my wife's got the courage, just bam, she goes back and then she, she's back the next week. Here's a gift, we love you. She's had girls tell her, because it's a long process takes years of relationship, of building trust. And they say again and again, the thing that got us, when because she's got about how many? you got about 18 or 20 that are out now, no longer doing it. And, uh, and they say something consistently. They say, it's because of your consistency. We punched you in the face, and you just came back and loved us. We told you to go to that lower place. You understand what I'm saying? We need to ask God for courage to come out of our bubble. What else keeps us in our bubble? I think sometimes misguided religious ideas can trap us in our bubble. Now, for, these, for this priest and Levite, you know, the guy could be dead. And so to touch him or help him or even go near him would mean for them uh, a contamination. They wouldn't be ritually pure. And I mean, they got things to do. I got a temple service I got to get to, and I can't do it if I touch this dead guy. Now, I know none of us are going to struggle with that idea today in any literal sense, but I thought about that in a more metaphorical sense. Perhaps out of a concern of spiritually harming ourselves, we separate ourselves from people who are hurting and far from God. Perhaps we struggle with involving ourselves with people whose sexual mores are different than ours, or people who get drunk or stoned every weekend. I hope that's none of you. Uh, people, people who who drop F-bombs every other phrase. You probably know some of these. I had one in high school. His name was Bruce. And he was an acquaintance of mine. And Bruce could, 
Bruce used the F word in ways that I found amazing. I mean, three, four times per sentence. For him, it was, it was a verb. It was a noun. It was an adjective. It was an adverb. It was a subordinate clause. I mean, wow. This is creative in a twisted kind of way. So we're concerned, you know, we get somehow tainted, contaminated because we don't want to become like them. And so in our desire to stay pure, we find it easier just to ignore them, just to walk by them, just not even get involved with them in any way. And in many ways, interacting with good Christians is just safer. And so I pose the question, can we, can we safely befriend people from that kind of different stream of life, I say, well, I believe we can. We don't have to sacrifice our moral compass in doing it. So, yeah, do we need to watch ourselves as we do? Absolutely. Should we have Christian accountability partners as we do? Definitely. But we can't allow a desire for purity to isolate us from lost and hurting people who need us so that we just walk on by. God doesn't want our spirituality to keep us safely ensconced in a holiness bubble. And I'm not knocking holiness when I say that. God wants us to venture out of our bubble. Now, you think about this. Jesus did this. Jesus did this both sort of in his, in his incarnation when he came from this perfect place called heaven and entered our broken, sin-filled world. Talk about slumming. Jesus was a Black Panther. You can quote that on your, you know, what? <laughs> Why was Jesus a Black Panther? Jesus ventured out of his Wakanda. He came out of his bubble and reached out to us in our moral and spiritual mess. Paul did the same thing. He said, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Now, don't read compromise. You know, we say, well, he's all things to all people in a compromising way. That's not what Paul means there. He means that he, he, he came out of his Jewish bubble. He, this is why he was a Black Panther, too. He left his Wakanda. He came out of his bubble of Jewishness to reach out to pork-eating Gentiles. And folks, if Paul hadn't done that, most of us wouldn't be here today. So let's not walk on by hurting people out of some kind of misdirected desire for purity. We need to ask God for wisdom and clarity. We need to ask God for courage to overcome the fear. We need to ask God for wisdom and clarity to overcome where maybe our ideas of purity are misdirecting us. The third thing and last thing I'd say that can keep us in our bubble is the worst one of all, and that's just flat-out indifference. I say it's the worst one of all because I think God can understand, God can understand that love can be hindered by fear and God, that it can be hindered by confusion, but indifference is simply the absence of love. I mean, perhaps those religious leaders walked by because they just didn't care. Or to make it a little less harsh, they didn't care enough. They were just too busy. I mean, they had Bible studies to get to, man. Places to go. Too many soccer games. Too many Netflix shows I got to catch up on. 
Too many fill in the blank. So I think it's possible for us to get so wrapped up in our own pursuits and pleasures, our own, our own aims, so ensconced in a, what I will call a bubble of busyness that we can ignore the needs that surround us. Now, God spoke to Ezekiel, the prophet, about Judah's, uh, Judah's indifference in Ezekiel 16, 49. God, speaking to, Jeru- to Jerusalem and Judah through the prophet, said, Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters, the old Sodom, I know what this is going to be about. Hang on. Here's the sin of Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They didn't help the hurting because they were perfectly satisfied, thought they had it all together, and the flat just didn't care. They were unconcerned about those who are forgotten, those who are put down, indifferent to the needs of the people they encountered. And here's here's what Jesus said about this in the Message Bible in Matthew 25. Then they're going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help? This is from the story of the goats and the sheep. He will answer them, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who is being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it for me. So if we find ourselves in this place where you said, gosh, yeah, I have, I guess I do have some indifference, and I'm not saying who it is. In fact, this, these spotlights are awesome because I can't make eye contact with anyone. <laughs> you know, we get this as pastors all the time. When you said those things, Rick, you were looking right at me. I wasn't. <laughs> so whenever I do any, say anything really heavy with the church, I just take off my glasses. Now I can't see a thing. <laughs> you could be a trash can. I wouldn't know. I see men as trees walking, you know. <laughs> not pointing anybody out, but if indifference is something that we encounter it, to be honest and say, yeah, then we need to ask God's forgiveness. So if we're facing fear, we need to ask God for courage to help us come out of our bubble. If we're facing confusion and, and misguided religion, then we need to ask God for wisdom and clarity. And if, we're, and if we say, we're honest, say, yeah, I really have come to a place of indifference, then we need to, we need to ask God for forgiveness. Now, look, I'm I'm not trying to guilt you today. You could have fooled me. Because guilt's a waste of time anyway, you know, as a leader. It it may move people temporarily, but it will never alter us long term. So that's not my aim. And also, I have to add, I'm not saying that I'm I'm better than anyone else in this room. I'll be honest with you. I can be as cowardly and as religiously misguided and as selfish as anyone. Sometimes I win gold in the Selfishness Olympics. But Jesus' story challenges me, and he meant it to. It it makes me ask myself hard questions. It makes me look to see how often, if ever, I venture out of my bubble of safety and security to help others. I grappled with this a number of years ago because I came to realize that I really lived in a I lived in a, uh, uh, a middle-class suburban bubble. I mean, listen, some of you are raised in the country. Some of you are raised in the city. I was raised in the burbs. I am suburban to my bones. 
I'm so suburban, I should have a Chevrolet emblem on myself. I'm so suburban. And I'm conscious that I think, well, this, this is what everybody's life is like. I was at a conference once, and the speaker brought up a, he brought up a, 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 an orange clay pot, and in, he was talking about brokenness and how God wants to use us to reach out to brokenness in people's lives. And so he took the clay pot, and he smashed it into a bunch of pieces, and then he, he picked up one of the pieces, and, and, and when we'd come into that particular session, every one of us got a little broken piece of pottery. And, uh, and he said, here's what I want you to do. What is, because he'd be talking about, you know, reaching out beyond ourselves. And what is the Lord telling you to do? Write it on that broken piece of pottery. So I wrote, you know, that I, for me personally, it was that I needed to get involved in helping the poor. Now, that may not be your getting out of your bubble, but for me, that was me getting out of my suburban bubble. Get in, directly involved in helping the poor. I wrote it on that, I wrote it on that, uh, piece of pottery, broken pottery, and then, then lost the pottery and forgot. Five years later, this is embarrassing for me, because God kept poking me. You ever have God, you know, he tells you to do something, you go, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 and then nothing, and then he pokes you. Ever been poked by God? Well, I, I got getting poked by God. It's embarrassing for me to say this. I mean, you know, it says about Abraham when God said, sacrifice your son, that he got up early the next day. Well, for me, as I got up early the next half decade, you know, I, okay, uh, I put it off for four years, and then I finally obeyed. God forgive me. And he prompted me to go to the inner city of our community, St. Louis is, is that community, and, uh, and help with one of the Catholic charities there, St. Vincent de Paul. They, they do work with people who are homeless or poor or in need or desperate, and uh, I do some financial coaching. And, um, and I do some uh, helping with clothes, and, and I, don't go there as, I don't go there as Pastor Rick, but just Rick. I don't go there as the leader of a church. I go there as me, because our church does all kinds of stuff for the poor, and it'd be easy for me to say, well, of course I'm involved with hurting people, because my church has all of these programs, and I stay home, and I direct all of these activities from within my bubble. I'll tell you what happened to me. It was humbling. I started, uh, I started working with people and, and looked, hearing their stories. It was an education for me. I, I come out of my bubble in awareness. It's like, oh, not everybody lives like me. I talked to a lady who lives on $1,000 a month. She's paying $250 a month for life insurance. And I said, ma'am, uh, I just want to ask, who's the life insurance for? She says, it's for my four children so that if they're killed, I can bury them. I went, oh. I'm telling you, that's not a reality I face in my bubble. She already buried one adult child. She didn't have the money. It just shook me. I, I, I got to tell you, the people that I'm in contact with in East St. Louis are helping me more than I'm helping them. I heard that from Pastor Tommy Barnett once. When he talked about reaching the hurting and the poor, and he said, I'm telling you, church, we need them more than they need us because it did something on my insides. Look, it's, this story challenges me, and I, and I hope that it challenges you as well. So I've been talking here today for, I don't know, how long have I been talking? 25 minutes? 30 minutes, okay. 
So in the last 30 minutes that I've been yapping at you, what has the Holy Spirit been saying to you about this kind of thing? What I'd like you to do is just bow your heads with me. I'm not going to do any show of hands. I just want us to be kind of within ourselves here and looking for what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Maybe, maybe there's something that He's been prompting you to do in this kind of area, and come, prompting you to get outside of your comfort zone some, and you've been avoiding it like I did. So just what's the Holy Spirit saying? That, how God wants you to venture outside of your bubble. And, and as you get that in your minds, you've got something, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but those of you who do, if you get that in your mind, then, then just listen to Jesus' closing comment in this whole story, at the end of the whole uh, uh, story here, His words are, then go and do it. Go and do it. To anyone here, just keep your heads bowed for a moment. To anyone here who's, uh, who says, well, Rick, I'm not even following Jesus at this time. Can I tell you that, that Jesus is God's unique son and he loves you more than you could even imagine? And Jesus came out of his bubble. He came out of his divine, eternal existence. He took on human form. He lived a life of complete obedience to all that is right and pure. And then he died on a cross, bearing every one of our sins and moral failures. And if we'll just believe in him and who he is and what he did, then our lives are transformed. We can come into a very real and life-changing relationship with the God who made us and loves us. And so I want to lead you in a simple prayer. I want you to say it after me. And if you're here today and you say, that's me, I, I need this, just say these words with us. Pray this prayer. Let's say it together. Oh, God. Thank you for Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins, that he rose again so that I could have new life. God, I acknowledge that I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. Just Jesus, come into my life. Take away my sin. I'll follow you, Jesus, for the rest of my days. Amen. And Father, I pray for all of us here that we would hear the voice of your Holy Spirit, we'd hear what you're prompting us to do, and that you'd give us the courage, and you'd give us the wisdom, and you'd, give, and you'd forgive us so that we can come out of our bubble and serve you in the way that you're asking us to. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening.